The Holy Gospel according to John, the second chapter. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken, the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. About a week ago, I was at a swim meet, and during the longest race, while they're trying to qualify for state, the lights flickered. And I was like, is somebody messing with the lights, or is the power going to go off? This was in a room where there's no natural light. And then they flickered again. And I thought, if the lights go out, the meet is done. Like, these guys can't see where they're going to swim. Race is over. Everything stops. Now, that didn't happen, but I kind of had a flash of what it would be like if it did. And can you imagine the outrage if somebody would have been messing with the lights, if someone had deliberately halted the entire meet? That would have gotten our attention. In a sense, that's what Jesus was doing in the temple that day, stopping the meat, turning out the lights. As he makes a whip of cords and drives out animals and turn o turns over the tables of the money changers, he makes everything stop. Now, if we back up and get a little history, long ago, people were saved by God from slavery in Egypt. And then each year they were commanded by God to celebrate what's called the Passover festival. It was a way of remembering that God had saved them. It was meant to be a festival that was about freedom and redemption. And so people would gather in Jerusalem for this festival, and part of coming to the temple for worship included offering an animal sacrifice. Now, it wasn't feasible for people to haul their animals miles and miles, so they would have to come to the temple and buy animals in the marketplace to do the sacrifice that God had commanded. One scholar notes, you can't fulfill the Passover command without the marketplace in the temple. Now, you have hundreds and hundreds of people coming to Jerusalem for this festival, and I kind of think it's just a glimpse of what it's like in Purim in the summertime, where you have all these people coming back to the lake, and they're the summer shoppers giving this huge boost to the economy. Same is true in Jerusalem. You have all of these seasonal sacrificers who have come, these seasonal shoppers to the temple, and they're offering this huge boost to the economy. You've got people who are reaching into their wallet, trying to pay for the animal they're going to get. Maybe someone else is waiting for change. And still someone else is eagerly watching as their animals are being purchased so they can bring money back home to their family. And then you've got the Roman oppressive government milling around, 
just waiting for all this to be done so they can get a cut of that exchange. And Jesus comes in and stops it. He puts the financial workings of that day to a halt. He very publicly and frustratingly, for those who count on that system, he disrupts the whole thing. One scholar, Caroline Lewis, notes that Jesus is not quibbling about mismanagement of this system, but he calls for a complete dismantling of the entire system, a system that's been in place for centuries. And this act will help to get him killed. People don't like it. Jesus is also pointing to something else beyond that. He's pointing to the presence of God. Back then it was believed that the presence of God was found in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. So you would go to the temple to encounter the presence of God. And now Jesus starts talking about his body as the temple. And he's pointing to the presence of God no longer being found in a place, but in a person. In his person of Jesus Christ. That God loves human beings so much that God comes to throw in God's lot with us, to inseparably join with us in the human body of Jesus Christ. And if we jump to the very end of the gospel, to Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he again starts talking about the presence of God, now found with us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, whom Jesus breathes on his disciples after his resurrection, The Holy Spirit, whom Jesus calls our advocate, our helper, the one called alongside us. God's presence, again, promised to be with us in a new way. Now, if we look again at Jesus in the temple, in theory, I love this passage. I love this image of Jesus making a whip of cords and driving out animals and flipping over tables It just gives such a different picture of Jesus than what we normally think of with him teaching or healing. So in theory, I love this idea of Jesus disrupting systems that need disruption. But what about today, if Jesus came and disrupted some systems that needed disruption today? What if he looked at financial systems today that help those who have plenty but really challenge those experiencing poverty? What about the systems that I like, or the habits, or the customs that we have become quite comfortable with? Would we be so keen to have Jesus disrupt those? I'm not so sure. What I do love about this passage is that it's a reminder that Jesus doesn't come to just help us feel peace and comfort, but he comes to disrupt that which is not life-giving in our lives so that he can bring us into something more. He comes to disrupt that which is not life-giving in our world, so he can bring us into something more. So if we step back and think about it for a bit, where do we need a little disruption? Where does our world need a little more disruption? Now, I'm not talking about disruption and conflict just for the sake of conflict. I'm not talking about Jesus just being antagonistic to be antagonistic. I think we'd all agree we have enough of that going on in our world and in our nation. But this is about disrupting those habits or systems or judgments that allow others to be treated as less than the value that they actually have. 
And we can only ever know what needs disruption by listening for those around us. Not only those with whom we readily agree, but those who exper whose experiences are vastly different from our own. So that we can get a fuller picture of where are there gaps in our communities? Where, where is, what is needed in our community and our world? Jesus is about disrupting those things in our lives that need disruption because they are blocking us from experiencing the Holy Spirit, because they are getting in our way from us fully following Jesus. So I'd invite us each to think about what is that? What is it for you? Maybe you might set aside a time, like 10 minutes today or half an hour today, to really think about that. I did that earlier this week, just set aside some time to really think about what is getting in my way of making more room for the Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe you might do it during communion, as you wait to come forward to receive Jesus given for you or after you receive Jesus given for you, to really ask for God's guidance. What do you, what's getting in your way of making more room for God? Maybe you write it down or put it into your phone. And then ask yourself, are you willing to clear that out, even if just for a time? And at times, maybe we need a life coach or a therapist or a friend to help us in that. A few weeks ago at the start of Lent, I read a devotion for our staff that was about giving things up. The devotion was about fasting. It was written by Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie. And they wrote that fasting is simply giving something up for a time. It's not a diet. It's not a punishment. It's not really meant to have any concrete benefit except the experience itself. And they go on to write that theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer described it perfectly, that somehow in our giving something up, we experience discipline and freedom. And they offer a suggestion to live that out. They suggest we ask God to show us something that we might give up for a time, fast from for a time. Now they note, if you're someone who has a complicated relationship with restricting food, skip that for now. Try something else instead. And here's what they suggest. It might be a break from social media or Netflix, from caffeine or unkind words. It could be taking a break from alcohol or holding a grudge. The purpose is to make more space for God for the Holy Spirit to move and breathe in your life. Jesus breathed on the first disciples and breathes on us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who's our comforter, our helper, God called alongside us. And this Holy Spirit goes with us and gives us the courage to face whatever disruptions are needed in our lives so that we can have the power to let go of that which does not lead to life and make more room for the Holy Spirit to live and move and breathe and lead us however we need to be led. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. 
Generous God, at this table we have tasted your immeasurable grace. As grains of wheat are gathered into one bread, move us to work together to ease hunger in the name of Jesus, the bread of life. Amen. I invite you to stand to receive the blessing. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. And now go in peace, work for justice.